Hello everyone, I'm Jen and welcome to another episode of Monogamish Pod. On this week's episode, I have Sinead Jackson Kendall with me talking about building intentional polyamorous lives. It's a fantastic conversation and ties into a cohort that's happening starting January 8th. There is a special discount code for Monogamish Pod listeners, so be sure to listen all the way through to the end to get that code and check the detailed show notes at monogamishpod.com. Now, without further ado, here's the conversation with Sinead. On this week's episode, I have someone that you've never seen or heard of before in your entire life on this episode. I promise. It's not like she's been on here like four or five times already. And it's not as if she's one of my besties. It's not as if she stayed at my house. Like, you don't know this person at all. At all. I swear. Hi, I'm a new guest. Right? Brand new to the Monogamish Podverse, we have Sinead Jackson Kendall. I know what you're (laughs) thinking. You lied. Yes. Yes, I did. You're welcome. We had to kind of hook you, get you interested, make you listen past my name. Correct. Correct. Because once we start talking, it's going to be obvious how well we know each other, how often you've been on the podcast. And (laughs) in that same vein, I'm not even going to do like the full introduction of Sinead, just like I've done every single other time. It it kind of feels mean at this point, because when you hear her voice, you're like, of course, I know who she is. So Sinead Jackson Kendall, co-founder of Polycultural Diversity Alliance. They put on Black Poly Pride, which I never got to go to. Thank you. I'm so salty. Let's just move on about that. Um, But but that's not why Shanae's here today. We're talking about what's happening in the world and the polyamorous verse. There's some interesting conversations occurring out there, including some that Shanae has had on IG Live with Jessica Remodel Love about building an intentional polyamorous life, incorporating children, all that jazz. I don't got no damn kids, but it sounded like good advice to me. She also is doing really well on TikTok, but I'll let Shanae give you a brief, brief spiel about who she is. She pretty much has it down pat. Let's go. Hey, everybody. I'm Shanae. I am a bisexual, polyamorous mom living in a mostly nested polycule outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I also have other partners outside of that polycule. I have been non-monogamous for at least a decade, somewhere between 10 and 15 years. And um, most days I'm doing pretty good at this. Welcome back to Sinead on the podcast. I told you a little bit of what we're talking about in building an intentional polyamorous life. And this has really been coming up a lot for me lately, especially in season three, as we talk about these different elements of people's journeys into polyamory. Like seasons one and two, we talked more in like broad strokes, how individual people got involved in it. And season three, I feel as if we've delved deeper into certain key things like religion and polyamory, mental illness and polyamory. And that's kind of really opened a lot of people's eyes. And one thing I've noticed in the conversations that happen online in the polyamorous spaces is that everybody be doing the same shit and thinking it should work for them all the time. And because I've never lived my life that way, I'm always confused. Shanae's like, no, Jen, this is just how people are. And I'm like, but it don't make no damn sense. How does that work? (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's not a one size fits all approach. Um, But there's also one of the things that I am not shy about talking about is that in any practice, polyamory is a practice and a way, a love style, a way of approaching relationships. And we cannot act like there are not more successful ways of going about things, right? You know, one of the things, I'm going to go on a little soapbox for a second about longevity, right? So if you were caught our Instagram lives between Jess and I from Remodeled Love, you heard us talk a little bit about longevity, right? 
And one of the big things out there in the polyamorous world is that longevity is not a sole determiner of success. And I agree with that 100%, right? Some people, people often stay in relationships just because they're comfortable, right? So I'm not saying that just because you've been with someone for 20 years, that that makes the relationship good or healthy. But what I am saying is that no one starts a relationship hoping that it will end. Like, that's just like a basic Mm -hmm. truth. Everyone can say, like, this, I do not intend for this to end quickly, right? Usually people have goals in mind with regard to a relationship. And longevity of some kind is usually one of those goals. So let's just be, let's, let's, let's keep it real there, right? We want this shit to last. And what I can say as someone who has several polyamorous relationships of varying lengths is that there are better ways. There are standard operating procedures. There are ways that lead them, that lend themselves to longevity. And so I'm here to tell you and to talk about some of those ways that, that lend to longevity, if that's what you're interested in. If you're interested in building a life that supports your relationships, um, I think that's something that we really need to be discussing in our community. Oh, for sure. And I'm going to bring it back to something that's another interest of mine, the Bachelor franchise. I know you're thinking shit, Jen, again. Yes, but it's very relevant because reality dating shows are non-monogamous dating shows. Like, we all know this is non-monogamy, like, just in public, acceptable format, right? Because in what other world is it okay for one person to date 30 people over the course of, like, six weeks? It's only acceptable because at the end, they're supposed to be engaged to someone. It's supposed to be monogamous by the end of it. And nah, you tell multiple people, I love you. You fucking multiple people. You Anyway, we, we, we press on. We press on. So one of the conversations I've been having recently is about how the franchise has, you know, made people get engaged at the end of every single season of the show. And those engagements rarely, if ever, work out. That people break up within a couple of months after getting engaged. Um, a lot of couples actually break up before the show even airs on television. <laughs> and That's then, what I'm saying now, right? Usually, right? time it airs, they're no longer together. I don't watch The Bachelor, but I know enough of like news to see that happen. Yeah, and then they're no longer together. And then if they, some couples do get together, they do get married. They get divorced shortly thereafter. They're usually not married for very long, but does that mean their relationship was like successful, unsuccessful because the divorce happened? And then we had a conversation. What do you consider to be a successful bachelor nation relationship? And for me, I'm like, if they're together for six months at this point, I'm thinking this is like, right. This is forever. Well, kind of that, that brings us to the idea that people do need to define success in their polyamorous relationships for themselves. Like what does success look like? Right. And so I'm not here to tell you what success looks like. But I am here to help you achieve success based on your definition. Yeah, because I mean, for, for me, six months at this point, I'm like, listen, I'm just grateful that they made it out of there. Like they made it out of the first weekend together. <laughs> What's your longest polyamorous relationship? Mine? Oh, it's very short. I mean, okay, if we're talking about romantic, you know, potentially. Based on your definition. Not, oh, based not- on my definition. Okay, so. Y'all know I don't operate the way a lot of other people operate. So for me, I have multiple relationships that are not necessarily romantic. I be living my life, whatever, whatever. My best friend is my wife. She may be married to some other nigga. He cool though. I like him. But that is my life partner. So if we're talking based on people that I've had in my life for long periods of time, who I've built intentional community with, who I have grown and changed, we have life plans together. We do shit together. 
I did not move to a new state without consulting that bitch first. I don't make big purchases without talking to her ass first. She don't change jobs without talking to me first. So if we're talking like how you do life with someone as a polyamorous thing, then shit, I've been, I've been with that girl for like <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. We've been besties since we were like 12, 13 years old. Yeah, I'm, we- I'm definitely on year 15. In my longest romantic relationship, I'm in year 15. I would say in my longest, like, real, like, I have, like, a group of friends that we have been friends since high school. And we are still friends to the point where, like, our group chat still pops multiple times a week, right? Um, and they have been, you know, we've supported each other through the death of parents, um, through the death of children. We've supported each other through new businesses and new homes and all that life stuff. So, um, those are my people, right? Just as intensely as the people that I am romantically involved with and raising children with are my people. So to those people are my people. So I'm looking at somewhere between 15 and 20 years um, with, I guess, my shortest intimate relationship, maybe looking at like year three. So yeah, it, it it's interesting because I mean, this ties into a conversation we're going to have like a little bit later about like how we define success and romantic and not romantic intimate relationships and polyamory. Cause that's a whole separate thing. When it comes to romantic polyamorous relationships, I have had long relationships. I just don't necessarily classify them as my partners if that makes sense, because partner for me means like you say, we do life together. And so I have very few partners in my life, but it doesn't mean I haven't had any successful, long, quote unquote, romantic relationships with other people. I agree. I think that I think that we need to like really attack what makes what, what, what we personally everybody needs to have a personal definition of what success means. And like, I think one of the things that I've been kind of thinking about is how many people have come to polyamory from other forms of non-monogamy. So, like, I I often say, like, it's the, like, threesome to polyamory um, pipeline, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, a threesome is every monogamous couple's, like, non-monogamous gateway drug, right? So it's, like, that very first threesome, you either love it or you hate it. Um, I, I, I seldom find people who have threesome experiences that are, like, meh. It's either really great or like, I'm never doing that shit again. Yeah, fair. So for the people who have these really great experiences, they want to do it again. And what generally happens and what has been my experience, um, even though it was a very long time ago, is that you have this um, non-monogamous sexual experience and then feelings start developing within that sexual encounter, right? And then Mm -hmm. one day you look up and you're introducing your girlfriend to uh, a table full of your college friends. Yeah, that's a real life scenario for me. Um, and I really like looked up and I was like, wait a minute, she hasn't been home in weeks, right? <laughs> like, so that, <laughs> that's what happens, right? Um, so because there's like a a polyamorous like gateway, right? A lot of people who now there, I what I love, and you know, you're gonna find me saying a lot of things that I don't like about Gen Z, but what I love about Gen Z is that there are so many people who are beginning their lives relationally non-monogamously and I think that's I think that's dope um it's the life I want for my child right I want my children to grow up in a world where non-monogamy is just as valid as monogamy Mm -hmm. and they know that that both are options and they can decide what works best for them but um 
because of this i because a lot of people come to polyamory via this pipeline what happens is we bring a lot of unhealthy habits that that are earmarks of those other forms of non-monogamy we bring them with us into our polyamorous life and we don't realize that they don't work toward polyamorous goals mm-hmm. a lot of things that swingers have in place that Jonas don't tell has in place that open relationships have in place like a lot of those rules and ways of being are actually antithetical to polyamory and people never stop to completely like rejigger and reformat and learn how to build a long-standing polyamorous relationship So one of the things I've noticed that we have in our community is that we have people who are married and have been for 10, 15, 20 years. And then they, and you, and they'll say stuff like, oh, we've been non-monogamous for 15 years. But yeah, they don't have any partners that have lasted more than a year. Have you noticed that? Oh, girl, you know, I, 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 this is also why it's hard for me to date other people because one, you know, the polyamorous community online is very much like usually married couples mm-hmm. out here doing whatever. And I don't, there's certain things I don't trust and how it's always looking at both partners, right? How mm-hmm. one person interacts and how the other person interacts. I'm like, nah, this is not safe for me. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, a lot of people don't have quote unquote long-term romantically. Like you've been non-monogamous for 15 years, but you haven't had a part- partner last for 12 months yet. That's weird. It's weird. And I'm I'm here to call it out. Like for me, if you tell me that you've been non-monogamous for more than five years, but you haven't been in a a non-monogamous relationship that lasted more than a year. um, I'm trying to find out why. Yeah. And it's a lot of reasons, right? If you're just starting out in these kinds of things, like you said, there's a lot of baggage coming in from monogamy, from other aspects of non-monogamy that require a lot of unpacking and people are not doing that, which we know, but also it's like, mm, I find that people are caught up in the public perception mm-hmm. of polyamory and non-monogamy in the community. And then they try so hard to be the opposite of that quote unquote, outside of the community, right? It's never like living a full life. And we know there's reasons for that. There's, you know, job restrictions, like you could be fired from your job. It, it could be financially unsafe or unsafe for you, like physically to be completely open about the situation. But then it's like, okay, if we're doing this, then what does this really look like? How do you expect to live this life and have someone say that, you know, you want to be a part of your life, but you have them relegated to like a deep, dark basement locked behind a door with barricades on top of it. Yeah. So, so, you know, PSA, like, you know, I'm not one of those polyamorous people who say like, oh, I don't judge. No, I absolutely judge. Um, I judge. I decide what's good for me. I decide what will work for me. And to all you married couples who say you've been polyamorous for 15 or 20 years, but you have you, your, your relationship facts are bad. Your relationship is going to last. You don't treat your secondary partner as well. All that stuff. Um, I am here to be the apostle to people who do not want to fall into that that trope, right? If you do not want to be the person who has been non-monogamous for 20 years and yet have no significant relationships to show for it, I'm here to show you that there's another way. There's a better way. 
there, there is a fucking better way. And this actually reminds me of something I saw earlier. So Plushy, Plush Bunny, who is from Naughty House, you know, one of the founding four, has been posting a lot of fire on Facebook these past yep. days. Shaking the table today. Shaking the table. And I'm like, girl, what? Stop. But it's okay. I like it because I like seeing the responses. And so one of the first questions that was asked was, can you be solo poly and married? And of course, there's like mixed answers in the comments. They're like, oh no, like that's not possible. Married people need to stop saying this. And some are like, yeah, it's possible, but it has to look a certain way. And there's a lot of gray area about what solo polyamory is. Solo polyamory is not single, by the way. You are not a single person if you're solo polyamorous. You can be single and solo poly, but they don't mean the same thing, just to clarify that. So what do you think about that? Can you be solo polyamorous and married? I wish you know how you're on TikTok, you can like zoom in. I'm going to lean into the camera a bit. If you're not looking, imagine me looking over into the camera and slowly lowering my glasses and looking under them and then over them. No! So the broad and general answer is that no, you cannot be married in solo polyamorous. I'm going to put a footnote, a little asterisk on that and say it is possible, but it is also highly unlikely. I will say that most married people are nested and I do not believe that you can be both nested and, and identify as solo polyamorous. That does not gel with the definition as I understand it. And um, I know a lot of people that might shock you all. I know a lot of black polyamorous people. And I know one person who is married and I will allow to claim solo poly. I think that it is essential to solo polyamorous to not be nested with a romantic partner. Okay. So what, what are you defining solo polyamorous for this conversation? Just so everyone knows we're, we're on the same page. We're talking about the same thing. So I'm going to say that solo polyamorous people are navigating their romantic lives as a single entity oh, and that they sorry. have no one else to consider in the decision. They have no one else. They are a unit of one. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is highly unlikely that you are both married in a unit of one. It is possible, but highly unlikely. Because if you married and you a unit of one, I mean, it's it's a bit it's it's a bit confusing, right? It, it, it is confusing. It can be done. The, I encourage people to define marriage for themselves, right? I want you to know that you can get married because the laws of our land afford certain privileges only to people who are married, right? That is real. If I go into the hospital today. Barring legal documentation that I have filed, Wellington is the only person who has legal access to me. That matters. It matters if you decide that you have, if you have multiple partners, but you want someone to have indisputable, incontrovertible legal access to you. Marriage, unfortunately, is the only way for that to happen in the United States of America. We also have a really shitty healthcare system wherein I can marry a stranger tomorrow and cover them on my health insurance, but I cannot elect to cover my sister. We have a shitty system. People get married for all kinds of reasons. So I do want to be sensitive to that. But I am also going to say that your average general run-of-the-mill married person is not at all solo polyamorous, and they likely got married within a monogamous construct. Um, my marriage is an outlier because we did not marry 
in a monogamous context. But I know that I am the exception and not the rule. And even though I am, even though I married non-monogamously, polyamorously, with my partners at my side, I still do not identify as solo polyamorous. What I do identify as is a relationship anarchist. You never told us that on the podcast before. I have never talked about that on the podcast, right? I think that it's new for me to be saying that out loud. But I think that it's really, if you are intimate enough with me to know my life, like you are, Jen, I think it's clear that I'm a relationship anarchist. (laughs) I have lots of different relationships and my relationships aren't ranked um, by a lot of the ways that society tells us that we should be ranking our relationships. And two of the big keys about the definition of relationship anarchy is that you are fighting against a motto normativity. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys what a a motto normativity is. That is the idea that romantic relationships somehow are more important than platonic relationships. And so at the very center of a motto normativity is the idea that who we're having sex with determines who is most important in our lives. And I would hazard to say that a lot of us are not having sex with the most important people in our lives. Girl, you Um, know I'm not. Right. So I think that the idea of decentering who's important based on whose genitals we're touching is essential. Um, And then the other thing is to rail against mononormativity, which y'all know I'm all about. Um, As I said earlier, all I want for my children is to know that non-monogamy is an option. Right that they can basically create and craft the kind of relationship that they want for themselves. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So, I mean, I guess by this definition, I too am kind of RA a little bit. Right. For people who may have never heard um, the definition of relationship anarchy, relationship anarchy is the application of anarchist principles to intimate relationships. So its values include autonomy, anti-hierarchical practices, anti-normativity and community interdependence remember that as we're going to get into like how important community is right so it's explicitly anti-amato-normative which we just talked about and it's anti-mononormative it's not always non-monogamous but largely it is so it's like an added layer to polyamory in that it goes completely against the idea of hierarchy within polyamory and only my feelings my desires and the way I organize my life determines what relationship is important to me and not any predefined scripts. That basically makes sense. And it also, plus she also asked that question, can you be a relationship anarchist and married? And I mean, obviously you are right. But like you said, you are also the exception based on some of the things that we just spoke about Mm -hmm. with a lot of other people because of this normativity across the board if, that comes up if you've ever said the words my marriage comes first and that's still how you feel you're not all right guys like that's not if 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 who you are you know doing a horizontal boogie with determines where your priorities lie you're not all right like you know and, I, and i'm not i'm not even like i'm not over here like waving a relationship anarchy flag but I do realize that the way I live and the way I organize my relationship does align with that idea. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking about. I mean, because I would never come to be like, oh, yeah, I'm RA, I'm doing whatever. I say I'm solo polyamorous because that's just kind of, I mean, 
someone asked me the other day, they're like, oh, well, if you, if you find someone you really love, would you live with them? I was like, do I have to? Like on purpose? I mean, I, is it because that we're poor? <laughs> like, is that why we live together? <laughs> because I don't well, see the some people live together. You know, I'm just like, I, I, I am not the person that wants to nest with anyone else. And I know it's about myself. I'm okay. If we have to nest together, that means we have a three bedroom house. Like I got my own wing. Like I got my own bathroom, like that there's as much separation in the actual house structure as possible in order for us to live together romantically. And I'm sorry to anyone who has dreams about being all up under me. Don't, don't do that. There are very few people who can be all up under me. One of them is on this call right now. I got listen, just any and anybody needs to know that I'm not giving up my key. Like just because you're here doesn't mean I'm giving up my key. You just gonna have to be used to me busting in. Just kidding. I'm not giving up my key. Like I, I text no, first. No, she'll text um, first. I mean, I usually even drop like these are my flight details. I'll be there at 10, you know? Yeah. Um, that's usually just that just so I can clean. That's just so I can clean. That's not because of any like, oh, you need to let me know you're coming. She's just trying to be like, did you remember to get up and clean the house today? <laughs> I even have to like navigate like I'm I am contemplating a trip to the DC area wherein I do not stay with Jen and I am um and I'm by my I'm not like you know, like I traveled with my partner to DC and I did not stay with Jen but we did come visit um but like you know I may or may not um be coming to DC for a non-Jen focused visit and we are we're, we're negotiating that, right? <laughs> we're negotiating. I I've put my terms down there. You know they've been mostly accepted. So we're gonna see. I mean I'm all about compromise, right? If she's here for three days, I don't expect to see her for all three days. She can see me for two of those days. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just joking. I know that. I know that that would not fly. Two is the compromise. Okay. Yeah. As you guys can see, we're still negotiating. Yeah. Um, but, yeah but it's important to. To like really, and, and I think people just need to do more research, right? I think people are very quick to come into the community and assign themselves like titles and markers and identifiers that they don't necessarily understand. And we should probably not do that, guys. Like do your research about what these terms mean so we can really get an idea of whether your situation fits this term. And just remember that just because the definition is one thing doesn't mean that everybody who says they're practicing the same thing means the same thing that you do or that the definition is because that's the other trick. Ask your questions, love. We, we got to ask, ask more questions, please. So if um, someone tells me they're solo poly, I'm like, what does that mean to you? Like, I, I have to ask because solo poly for me is, you know, like, you know, I'm a unit of one. I've been making my decisions. If I choose to include you in my process, at the end of the day, it's still my decision. It's still my life. I don't owe you that kind of, um, I don't even want to say it in that way, but like, I don't have to mandatorily have your input, if that makes sense. And I feel like if you're doing life as a married person, a married person who like lives with someone, then yeah, the input's got to be both ways right because that's not a harmonious situation otherwise so because i am me and my relationship is me i get to make certain decisions that are me <laughs> and if i want to include you in that i do if i want to have discussions about it get your input about it i do but at the end of the day it's ultimately me and falls on me does that make sense for other people i don't know if I, i'm describing it correctly but that's just the best way that i can think of to describe the army of jen at the moment but also, I know that I can't make decisions on my own without talking to my people first. But that's a me thing because I care about them and I want 
to hear their input because they know me and they value me and they love me. Right. So it doesn't mean you can never consider anyone else. It just means that it's the army of you and you can consult people who love you. Right. Right. Like I would say that someone is so low polyamorous if they get to make decisions about their life that don't necessarily affect someone else's life. And that's why I struggle to, to label anyone who is nested as solo polyamorous. Yeah. And okay. So solo polyamorous people can have kids, but ultimately don't kids come first? Mine do. Mm-hmm. But not everyone feels the same way. I'm saying mine do. Um, I think yours should. And in my world, the only people who come first, the only people who have a static place of first is people who cannot do things for themselves. And mm-hmm. that is why. And that's it. And then for me, because I'm kinky, right? Because I'm kinky and engage in DS relationships, people are always like, well, isn't that hierarchical by nature? And not in my world, right? It's not hierarchical by nature. We just have different agreements, right? It's up to me to manage my dynamic with my dominant and with my submissive to make sure that we have a way of being that doesn't impact anybody else that's between us right Mm -hmm. and if if i had a dominant that dominant does not control my relationship to other people he or she controls me to the extent that we have negotiated that control and the same for my submissive right so and you know this is like a whole class that people can can like take and sign up for but i control my submissive to the extent that she is not in a relationship I respect my submissive as a polyamorous woman to maintain her own relationships. My control ends where her relationship begins. But before that relationship begins, my control remains. So that's important to know, right? And anyone Mm -hmm. who wants to be in a relationship with my submissive should know that in the dating phase, my control remains. Right? So that's just just Mm. a thing. That's a thing. We have a whole, like, I'm going to be, I'm working on and hoping during Q1 to have ready a course about the intersection of, of uh, DS dynamics and polyamory and how I have successfully navigated those two things. But in the worlds that we navigate, there's a lot of things to kind of talk about. And I think that in general, people just aren't having the right conversations. Facts. Well, that's what, that's what I try to do in this podcast. I try to have some of the right conversations. I would say they're all right, but I try to have some of the right conversations just to show people there's a different way or show people they're not alone in a sense. Because so many people out here doing non-monogamy and polyamory think they're alone. And they're, they don't know that people are thinking. So it's kind of like a hard thing because in some ways we're writing a new script in every way. But there are also some standard operating procedures that lead to better outcomes. And as a polyamorous elder, and I'll, I'll come out and say that, in, in, especially among polyamorous people who have um, social media presences, I am absolutely an elder. Like, I'm just going to stand up and say that. You can feel how you want to feel about it, but most people who have broad polyamorous followings, shout out the polyamorous black girl, who brought this out for No Nuance November. But most of the polyamorous influencers that y'all are like listening to and following and like buying courses from and, and, and 
paying for peer support from having been polyamorous as long as you have. So, you know, Shanae is always going to tell you, to, you know, to be really critical about where you're getting your information from. And don't take advice from people who aren't doing better than you want to be. Oh, factual. A thousand. This is why I don't offer peer support, y'all. <laughs> like, I also think that just being polyamorous does not make us peers. Like that one thing alone is not enough to make us peers. Like for us to be peers, there has to be a lot of other connections between us. Like for me, there has to be a cultural connection. Uh, number one, number two, like we have to be interested in moving in the same direction. So if mm-hmm. I am like, Hey, I am looking to, this is just an example. This is not how I really feel. I'm a polyamorous person looking to have like a semi-nested life where, you know, all of my partners and family members and friends or whatever, live within very close proximity. Are you not ready to tell people that I'm moving in? Oh, oh, well, nuggets dropped now. <laughs> right. So, you know, as I navigate this life where I live in two cities, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm just joking. Mostly. But yeah, you, you see the point. So it's like, if, if I am, if you, what you are looking for and what I am looking for are not aligned or what I've already done are not aligned, I cannot counsel you to get where you need to be because I have no fucking idea, right? Like there, there's so many layers to this. So people who are like, oh, I'm brand new to polyamory. Um, I'm coming from a married dynamic, whatever, whatever. My husband or my wife or whatever is this way. And I'm like, girl, I cannot help you because I'm not married. I don't know anything about this married life business. Like shit, I'm trying to find some rich ass person to marry me right now just to put me on their benefits, bro. Like... I am not the person that's going to be the best person to guide you towards how to open up a marriage, open up a dynamic or anything like that. Cause that's not my experience and that's not where I've been or where I'm coming from. And I would never go to somebody who is not married, who does not have that experience, who doesn't have long-term experience either, because let's be honest, most non-monogamous polyamorous openings fail like right away. Like I'm being a thousand percent clear on that. That shit fails. And we know it fails. And the couples, guess what? They get to retreat back into their monogamous lifestyle. And the person who was not a part of the marriage gets left fuck out there with nothing. So period. Like we can't ignore that. That is the pattern. It's absolutely the pattern. It's what we want to fight against. So how do we do that? Right. But I guess we're kind of perfectly segued into being intentional about the way that we not just enter polyamory, but the way that we plan our polyamorous life. And that, so for some people, and I've said this, I mean, I've said this on the pod before, but for some people, polyamory is a way of being. And for some people, polyamory is a way of dating. If you're dating polyamorously, you're not for me. I'll just put it, I'll leave it like that. If you are wanting to build a polyamorous lifestyle and, and participate in the polyamorous love style, then I have lots of of gems and nuggets that are for you because I have successfully done that. I've created a life that supports my polyamory and I am interested in helping other people do the same. So now that we've talked about that, I've watched your lives with Jess, every bottle of love. If you haven't watched them, go to Shanae Speaks on Instagram and you can watch there. They're like an hour long each, but they're very informative, very important. Shanae dropped some mad nuggets in there. And if you were able to see the comments, there are some other people in the comments dropping some mad nuggets in there too. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, they were really great lives. If you, and it's like, I'm glad you can watch the replay, but like missing them live, you like missed a moment, right? We come out on some really important conversations. And we talk a lot about in the first live, like what it looks like 
to create an intentional polyamorous life if you're looking for a more kitchen table type style with children, right? And I know that like, because Jess is a mom and I am a mom, that is kind of the lens through which we have approached our lives. But I am, but intentional polyamory is broader than that. Intentional polyamory is the idea that we can enter this love style. We can create relationship cultures that work for us. We can create polycules with values that resound with our lives. It's it's polyam on purpose. And that's the tagline. Intentional polyamory, polyam on purpose. Yes, I've been very excited about this because there are certain things and certain decisions that I have made that I'm like, you know, if I had somebody who was like a bit further along than I was at the time, because when you're really thinking about it, you and I have technically been polyamorous around the same portion of time, but have had different life experiences to get there. Right. So if, if I was trying to move in a certain direction and I had somebody ahead of me, like who already had that, like, oh yeah, I have a kid, I have a life, I'm trying to build an intentional polyamorous life and a kitchen table lifestyle for my child. Like not saying Sinead's doing kitchen table because we've discussed that that's not what she's doing. But the point is that if if I had that when I was like looking into stuff, because at the time, 10, 15 years ago, girl, you know, it was just white people on the internet talking about fucking other people. White people on the internet! That's (laughs) That's what it was. Okay. And so, you know, y'all, y'all know, for those of you who have listened to older episodes, polyamory is in large part widely regarded as white people shit still. And so one of my main goals in, in my outness about polyamory and my education and my activism is to tell you that polyamory is not just white people shit. That's what I'm here to tell you. Yeah. So that that's what it is, right? And so knowing that there was a Black woman like, pioneering the way in a sense i'm like okay i should have paid attention to this bitch this whole time so when polyamorous black girl came on the scene i was like damn this is i mean not exactly my life but it's kind of similar to my life in the sense where i just be out here trying to figure shit out by myself (laughs) and ain't nobody to tell me what to do and the people who are quote unquote telling me what to do are people who don't have that kind of experience and the life that i want to live for myself like because also when you look at it at the time it was also just married people on the internet Talking about a married ass life, and, and they know were this. Not people, they were not married people who had sustained long term relationships with other people who were not their, their spouse. Mm-hmm. So hard to find. As a matter of fact, I am going to put out an APB. If you, if anybody within the sound of my voice is legally married and has been in a relationship with a non-nested, non-married partner for more than three years. I am looking to be your friend. I need friends. Um, I have been in a non-nested, non-married relationship with my submissive for seven years and counting. And it's lonely here because that is not a thing that most people have that experience. Um, and as, as, you know, if you decide to join the International Polyamory Cohort, you will learn that community is absolutely essential to the health of your relationship. Relationships need community to operate at their best. Facts, because, girl, I was out here struggling. (laughs) And it's so, so, I mean, being born and raised in Jamaica, like, all these things are not talked about, right? So you're like the pioneer of your friend group. Like, 
I would tell people I was bi when I was like 12 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That makes like the pioneer of the friend group, you know, like, oh, you've been living this kind of weird ass, you know, not monogamous life. You're the pioneer of the friend group. Girl, I don't know shit. I'm I'm flying by the seat of my fucking pants. I'm here. the guy who's doing what feels good. And sometimes it's right and sometimes it's not. <laughs> right. And then like when you fuck up, there's no one who can understand where you're coming from because you will fuck it up. Just, just oh, to yeah. clarify. You will fuck it up. You, I, I, and Shanana, I think I've said this before. Like, you're not truly polyamorous. You're not really doing polyamory right if you ain't fucked it up completely at least once. Oh, exactly. And I tell people all the time that my, um, my advice, my point of education is not from a place where it's like, oh, this is what I think might happen. I don't speak from a place of polyamorous theory. For me, you're always going to hear, I've done this. I've made the wrong choice. I fucked this shit up. And this is what I this is what I now know. Like I'm speaking from my lessons. Um, I like to get on the internet and talk about this is like a Nicole Walters um quote. Um, but I don't share my wounds, I share my scars. So I'm here talking to you from a place of Sinead did that, so you don't have to do that. I'm not supposing on how I might feel. In, in a situation, I know because I've been there, I fucked it up and I wish I had done this. <laughs> I now mm-hmm. know that this was the right way to go about that. So that's kind of where, that's, that's where my advice comes from. My advice comes largely from reality and we get out of the idea and the feeling of theory. Yeah. So tell me more about your intentional polyamory cohort. I know it starts the beginning of January. So this is like, this episode drops. By the way, y'all, it's November 30th when the episode is dropping. We recorded it a couple of days before, just so y'all know what's going on. So currently there's a Cyber Monday sale happening at the time of this recording that will not be happening when the episode drops. I'm sorry for you, but also don't worry. We've got something special for you in the works. Anyway, so intentional polyamory. The purpose, of course, is create an intentional polyamorous life and help people build those lives on purpose. And it's something you've been talking about, like in the, in the back channels for a while, right? Something you've been thinking about for a while, but you refuse to step into your power. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. So after the two lives, um, I did one live, we talked kind of about the theory of intentional polyamory and what that meant and applied that to like having polyamorous lives that were interconnected and that involved children, right? We talked about it in that context. We also then, we had a second live, we talked about what does that actually look like? I think a lot of our conversations with polyamorous people talks about theory and how, and like what we think about, but it doesn't say like, no, like how do I actually do this? What are actionable steps to get me from point A to point H, right? And so in our second lab, we kind of talked about some actionable things, things that we need to do to build a polyamorous life that supports longevity in this love style. And so um, let's talk about like the setup of the program. So it starts on January 8th and it's a five week cohort, right? And so we're calling it a cohort because it is a grouping of people working towards a common educational goal. The idea is that we're going to work together. We're going to have weekly video chats. They're going, they're scheduled to last two hours every Sunday at present. Right. And so as we work through, we have five classes. The first class is going to be about theory. And then every subsequent class is going to be about a, um, a four part like house 
or a four-part foundation upon which we build intentional polyamorous lives, right? And so I'm going to take you through the basics and the like overall structure. I'm going to give you some important activities. I'm going to tell you the questions you need to ask yourself, the questions you need to ask your potential and current partners. I'm going to give you some frameworks for building agreements um, and for, for operating your life on a daily basis, for talking about the kind of information you share and, and, and kind of really seeing, okay, how do I build an intentional polyamorous love style? So um, it's going to be, we're going to do video chats once a week. Um, and there's going to be a private group where we kind of participate in community. We have conversations amongst ourselves. And there's going to be like some group and partner work where we're, we're really evaluating our own lives and our like individual situations to see what situations in my life are working well towards my polyamorous goals and what situations in my life need to maybe be altered and are working against my polyamorous goals. See all that looking fantastic educational content right there for you bitches who try to be polyamorous in this world. Love to see it. <laughs> Love to see it. I'm, I'm just saying I, I've been excited about this, like in the planning stage, it's just like thinking about it because like you said, there's really nothing like this out there that is relevant to people trying to intentionally build these lives and not to say there's not people out there doing things, but they just not doing this thing. Right. And I will also say that I am, you know, y'all know, and you know, if you're new to me, um, I am true to me. I am for the culture. So one of the things that there's lots of people out here talking and teaching about polyamory, there are very few people who look like me. There are very few black queer. You know what? Let me, let me run that back. There are several black queer polyamorous women who are doing big things in the world of non-monogamy and sexual um, liberation. We're not getting the shine that we deserve because you guys are following um, white women who have the space, time, and desire to film their entire lives for TikTok and Instagram. That's just that's just not that's not who I am. Um, but I am here to you know I I have this T-shirt that says. Um, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm someone's shot of Hennessy. So if your polyamorous life needs a shot of Hennessy, if you are looking for loving, compassionate, but also direct advice on how to be successful in your polyamorous journey, if that idea resonates with you, then this cohort is for you. All right. So I'm going to ask you for a little tidbit. What are the things that we're trying to look at to build a polyamorous life? Just so people can know what we're talking about when we say you want to build this lifestyle. What are the things that you need to be looking at? We talked about community being an important part of it. Right. So remember that building can happen at every experience level. So whether you're new to polyamory or whether you've been here for a while, if you're not getting the results you want, we can look back at the building phase, right? So there are four kind of really like columns upon which we're going to build this polyamorous life. The very first thing is our solo skills, right? Who are we? Who am I as a polyamorous person? What self-work do I need to do to show up well to my polyamorous relationships? Do I have some strengths that make polyamory easier for me? 
And do I also have some areas of opportunity that might make my polyamorous relationships more challenging? And after I've done that real like inventory of myself, what do I need to work on and how am I going to do that? That's the first step, right? It all, um, Evita and I often say that polyamory is a journey of self. And so we start with self. We do a self kind of introspection and see what needs to be done. After we talk about self, then we're going to talk about, um, it's something that I've called creating a relational culture. So relational culture is how do I feel as a, a person who is intimately relating with others? What, what can you expect from me? And then if you already have existing partners, what do we want our relational culture to feel like, right? And so if, you have, if, if that doesn't make any sense to you, those two words strung together, relational culture, then I'll say like, let me give you a, one aspect of relational culture. It's the frequency of communication, right? So like how often do you expect to hear from your partners? Do you guys text all day? Do you have a video call once in the morning and one video call at night? Like what, how do we do things, right? And there's a couple of things I pointed out on the lives, which I really, really encourage you to go watch. But like relational culture can be like, we are helpful. We are supportive. We check in with one another. If I haven't heard from Jen in 25 hours, then I'm probably hitting her up on every like social network. And in 48 hours, I'm on a plane because the bitch, where are you? Right? So it's, it's kind of like the idea of like, how do I communicate with the people in my intimate circle? What things are indicative of the way we love one another? What else would you say, like, kind of about, like, relational culture? How is, the, how is another way we can say that, Jen? You talked about, like, how I want, you know, people to feel about me. Like, how mm-hmm. I want to feel about them, how I want them to feel about me. I think that's, like, the most important thing for me. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and it also ties into, like, a bit about, like, how we communicate information to each other like I think that's like another huge part of I would say like creating this relational culture because that that kind of like you talked about this actually on the internet today didn't you you brought that up what uh, about um how to communicate information to your partners about oh, yeah. certain things in, in, uh, in one of my private Facebook groups um yeah like poly reality we talked about like communicating change to our partners like let's say there is a change either that has occurred or is in the process of occurring in your relational landscape. So basically like you and one of your one of your relationships is changing. How do you communicate that to one, your other partners? And what does your relational culture dictate, right? So one of the things that is a part of my personal relationship culture is that I like to communicate early and often about changes. I do not enjoy being blindsided by changes. I want to know um, I have very recently had to communicate to my partners, hey, I think there's a change in the on the horizon in one of my relationships, right? And I just, we haven't figured out exactly what that change looks like, but I want to communicate to you that we are contemplating change, right? So that's part of our relational culture. The relationship culture that I have con- that I have developed around me says that I communicate early and often. Some your relationship culture or your relational culture might say that you communicate um, in a like daily digest. Maybe you give the daily, you know, maybe it's a weekly. Maybe you don't say anything until you and the partner involved have figured everything out. But it's really about what works best for you and your existing partners 
or what you know will work well for you as you seek additional partners. So hopefully that makes sense. What else can we say about relational culture? We talked about values, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have, listen, the values part is important. Like you can, you can be with somebody as much as you want, but if you don't share the same values, you're fucked. This is just just me being direct and straight up. You're fucking fucked. Because guess what? When shit hits the fan, what's going to happen? If you don't share the same values and how you're communicating with each other and how you want to live your life and how you want to build this relationship. And again, not sharing the same values in certain things may not be a deal breaker, but on there are certain foundational elements for relationship where this matters. I'm going to need you to remember that. And compatibility is key more than, you know, love is not enough. Love is not enough because I love a lot of fucking people who were toxic for me at different stages of my life. And I'm just being, I'm just being real. I'm just saying that straight up front. If you're one of those, if you're one of those people who were toxic for me that I loved and you're listening to this, you already know the truth. Like we've already talked about this, but I think that acknowledging creating this relational culture and building this life together means that we need to have some hard fucking conversations about what certain things will look like, what they will feel like, how we will handle certain situations. Like to put it in monogamous terms for the newbie people who are listening to this, if you're dating someone and you want marriage and kids and they're kind of like meh about it, that's not the good fit for you. If they tell you they don't want it, but they might change their mind, that's not a good fit for you. Why? Because at the end of the day, when you're like, okay, it's time for marriage and kids, you're like, well, I never promise you that. <laughs> and then what happens? You've quote unquote wasted six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Some people wasted 15 years of their life plus on someone who is not aligned with you <laughs> in those ways, like compatibility and alignment. I think that's a huge part of creating relational culture. I think even one of the main aspects of creating relational culture is whether you talk about things, whether you sweep things under the rug. I have a relationship in my life and one of our, one of the, the, the standout portions of our relational culture is that we say the quiet part out loud, right? And what that means is that a lot of the things that normally have you guys ever heard that like stupid what's understood doesn't have to be explained? That is bullshit that is antithetical to intentional polyamory. We don't do that here. Everything gotta be explained. Explain the fuck out of that shit. Like, tell me what you mean by that. When you use words or terms, I wanna know. Define that for me. Like, like we actually, you know, and sometimes you have to get like really even like what may feel like pedantic. Because, for instance, uh, uh, Jen, what does partner mean? To me, a partner is someone that I do life with. We share a love and a bond, and we go through life together as a unit. And it doesn't mean that I am not any less of an individual <laughs> in my own solo polyamory life. It just means that this is someone that we have made the mutual decision that we will involve each other in certain aspects of our lives and decisions and care and we love there's a lot of things that goes into partner for me is that just like a a random thing you could drop on there a partner is not a boyfriend or a girlfriend your partner can be someone that you call in public a part a boyfriend or girlfriend but it doesn't mean that if you're my girlfriend you're automatically my partner and vice versa 
Right. So I think a lot of people could use to define the terms that we take for granted, even boyfriend or girlfriend or like joy friend. What does that mean to you? If I give you this title, what does that mean in my life? So intentional polyamory is all about like really defining what these terms mean. So after we have developed our solo skills and we've created a relational culture that works for all parties involved, then we need to get really like, this is really like tactical. And we need to talk about what information we share with one another and how we go about sharing that information. So um, one of the, the, the two like low hanging fruit that I kind of talked about in our live are location sharing and calendar sharing, which I think have, I have found to be like really hot topics in like yes. the glamorous world, right? Listen, I I was involved with someone. If you you're on my page, you probably talk more detail about it. But on here, you know, I was involved with someone who was married, and I was on like like their YouTube TV plan or something, right? Like whatever. And of course, when you're on that plan, sometimes it involves like sharing certain things. And so I accidentally had something from like their married life on my calendar. And so for me, it wasn't an issue. I just brought it up like, oh yeah, I saw that there's this weird appointment. It's not for me. I just want to let you know that I can see that, right? And they were like, they tripped out about it. They were, they had a lot of feelings about that. And for me, that should have been a red flag, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, and and it's not, it. the reason why it should have been a red flag was because of how uncomfortable they were with me having knowledge of that quote unquote other part of their life. Not because I saw the thing, but because of how uncomfortable they were that I saw the thing, that for me should have been a bigger red flag than it was at the time. That should have been a red flag, but it wasn't. It's like gold, right? That's, <laughs> we're just, just going to treat that as gold, right? Um, I will say, so some of the things that we talk, like in this week of the cohort, we're going to talk about information sharing. We're going to talk about... Um, sex lives and how much information needs to be shared about your sex life. We're going to talk about STI status. We're going to talk about calendars. We're going to talk about location. We're going to talk about plans, vacations, all the things about how your inter, inter your, your relationships interconnect with each other and how much you share. And we're going to talk about some automated ways to share information in a way that when I say it's foolproof, but that lends itself to success. Yes, that makes sense. See, I just, I'll give another example with someone else, right? This is because you remember, even though I don't talk about it on the podcast, I have dated people. I have had several romantic relationships with people. I, I just keep shit close to the vest because one, some of them listen to my podcast. I don't want them feeling like they're super important. Could they not? Not right now. That was like in the past, bitch. But it's good for examples, right? So I will say that I, in the early stages of one of my relationships, we had a lot of um, not healthy agreements about how we would engage with other people and how we would communicate that information to each other once that was done, right? And I can say I was toxic as fuck, right? And this is me owning my shit, right? One of the agreements was don't fuck your ex-girlfriend. So what I do, I fucked my ex-girlfriend. 
<laughs> okay. The agreement was made in insecurity and not in like any actual, like whatever. And so after the, this, that, that's how I knew it was, I knew it was made in through insecurity on my partner's part. Right. It wasn't about fucking a woman. It was about the fact that, oh, you used to love this person and I'm worried that you're going to leave me for them again. Not that I ever did, but you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't an agreement made in love and trust, if that makes sense. It was an agreement made out of fear. Maybe a relational culture takeaway there is to only make agreements that feel good to you. Yep. Cause you know, I was like, sure, that's fine. No problem. And then, you know, she was there and I was there and then puss was on face. And then we were having a whole different conversation, but I didn't keep it from them. Every conversation with you, puss gets on face really quick. Like I, (laughs) to be fair, it it happened before in the past, you know, cause we were together, but (laughs) so, but for me, I was like, oh, I'm not going to keep this from them at all. I'm going to be like, yeah, this is happening. Um, this happened. I'm also not sorry that it happened. I was just feeling horny and they were there. And then, you know, I got what I needed. Sorry, but, not sorry. but I am sorry that you're going to feel some type of way about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and that involved like a lot of conversation. Like, okay, what can you share and not share with other people about <laughs> what, what do you want to know? Do you want to know how many licks do you want to know? Like, and, and that's also something that's between me and that person, right? The person that I'm fucking also has to agree to that. I can't just be telling my other partner how many licks it took to get to the center of the Tootsie Row without having a conversation with the person I was licking to say, I'm going to tell them X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And I think that's the other thing people miss about information sharing. Like I agree with location sharing being important because consent is important. I agree about location sharing being important for, especially for me. Like I travel a lot for work. I, my family is in a whole different country, a whole different state half the time than where I am. So people need to know where the fuck I am. Right. And especially when you're out here dating in these dangerous streets, like people are gross. Like also you get into a car accident, like anything can happen to you. And so I think that location sharing for me is an important thing. If I have a partner that, also has an iPhone, <laughs> right? But I can understand why someone would be uncomfortable. Also, the partner who's listening, I need you to know that if you show up, that doesn't mean she's going to stop sharing her location with me. You just will get added. Like, yeah. Let's, let's be clear. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I said, the other thing is like, I can understand on the flip side, how someone that you were dating will be uncomfortable with someone that they quote unquote, don't know having access to where they live. If you were at their house, right there, there are levels that I understand. Okay. This could be uncomfortable for you because I always share my location with these people, but here's the thing. Do you tell the people that you're dating that you share your location with others? And for me, that's important. Like if I am dating someone seriously, I'm like, yeah, this person always knows where I am. My location is always on. They know where I am. They know where to find me. And this is not a, I feel unsafe with you. This is a, they just need to know where I am. And this is an agreement that we have. That's sharing who you are as a person, right? What, What matters to you, what's important to you. Because culture starts with a very individual thing. You say, this is who I am. This is what I do. And then as a couple, as a dyad or as a triad or a polycule, we we adopt other things that matter to us, right? So I'm really excited about week four. Um, it's, let me see. If it's, are we, will we in week four then? Yeah. Uh, well, it's information sharing, then we were on to week four, yeah. Yeah. 
And so then week five of the cohort is where we're slated to talk about polyamorous community. Why it's important to talk about polyamorous community, why relationships themselves need community, how you go about building community. All these things are things that we would like be hella like important to talk about in our in our final week of the cohort. Oh yeah. And and like I said, community is important because that's why I do this podcast to create a community just because, you know, I don't be actively nurturing it by having like a Facebook group or something. Don't mean nothing. It just means that I, let's put it this way. Moving to DC has been very eye opening for me because when I'm in black polyamorous groups, people be like, Oh yeah. Did you hear monogamous positive episode? And I'm like, why are you talking about me? Stop. So weird because there's so many fucking black polyamorous people here and they'd be listening to my shit. And it's like, I want them to listen to it, but I don't want them to talk to in front of me about listening to <laughs> that's not a thing Jenny. you're just gonna have to accept that you are in fact a local celebrity accept it when i'm in uh, dc well, with jen i just have to be like yeah i'm here with jen flips hair uh, that's not true at all because she has to specify jen who and like oh you know jen from monogamous pie is like oh yeah i've seen that and that's it it doesn't go any for i don't get free drinks i don't get free food i don't get any of the perks of being quote-unquote famous okay Shanae now. I get the perks and I and I, I pass them on. Listen, Shanae though. Shanae is hella famous. Like we walk into a room, it's like, oh my gosh, Shanae. Oh my God. Like, how are you? Like, I loved your IG live. I loved your talk. I love Black Poly Pride 2020, 2019. You know, I can't wait for the next one. Like, are you guys doing the next one? Like, what's going on? Literally, it's like walking into the room with fucking Usher, okay? Everybody's like, oh my God, it's Shanae. I am not at all Usher, but I have made it clear that I love a good cognac and I appreciate a wing. So this is for everybody listening. If you see me out and about, when you hear about the city's tours that are scheduled for 2023, this is your invitation to buy me cognac and chicken wings because those are my love languages. <laughs> and don't worry, I will be available at some of them. I'm, this is not a secret. This is just telling y'all, you know, we go together. So I'll be going places too. Yeah, you're, you. you're, you're unlikely to find me unaccompanied. Um, I'm going to have a gin or one of my partners with me in all city tours. Um, but they don't bite for the most part unless you like that. Um, yeah. And only with consent. So, you know, there you go. Facts. Did I ever tell you randomly? I think I talked about it on the, maybe it was on Patreon about um, me hitting on these sisters at a bar in Denmark. But doesn't surprise me. I was a terrible person. Not terrible like in real life, but like I. You, you've had a whole phase or two. I've had a whole phase or two. To be fair, my biggest whole phases have been brought on by grief. Because you know what they say about grief sex, okay? Like, that's a thing. And also yeah, it's... About that. That is, um, for those of you who don't know, I have recently experienced a loss. A member of my polyamorous community passed away about two weeks ago. And it has really hit us way harder than we expected. Um, but for me, I'm in this place right now where, like, I'm really sitting in gratitude. I'm sitting in gratitude for her life, for her support of my work, and really gratitude for the people that are in my life now, right? Because we really, we don't have, we're not promised tomorrow. And so I'm trying to make sure that each each of my todays is impactful. Um, and so that if, if if today is my last day, then I am happy and proud of the way that I spent it. And that's kind of that, that that really ties back to like what um I was already working on intentional polyamory when I heard about our friend's death. 
but she she really thought that I had something that I needed to share with the world. And so that has been a big kick in the ass to get this cohort going and to to start it. So we we launch, um, you know, for those of you who are in here in the United States, it's really a big holiday season for us. And so we're going to be doing some pre-work as a unit as people sign up for the intentional polyamory cohort. We're going to be doing some pre-work and some introspection. And on January 8th, we're going to hit the ground running and spend the next five weeks really examining our polyamorous lives and doing some like renovation to make sure that as we welcome people into our polyamorous life, as we build community, it's important. So the community is that fourth foundation of our polyamorous life. We need polyamorous friends. We need community. We need to engage in that way because we can't do it alone. Um, if we do do it alone, we're not going to do it right. So you need to have people in your polyamorous community outside of the people that you are engaging in romantic relationships with and that you are having sex with. If you don't have that, you are missing something key. But what if I fucked all the people in my community already? Not that I have. I'm just asking. Go find more friends. Wow. It's hard out here in these streets. But also, yeah, speaking of the person who passed, I did include the GoFundMe and the newsletter that dropped in early mid-ish November. And I will be including it again in the newsletter coming out on November 30th slash December 1st because... Listen, this country is fucking trash. It is so expensive to take care of our loved ones in death, bro. Like right. you, you would think that like the the pain and the grief that you're experiencing is enough, but it's actually not enough because on top of the pain and the grief, we then have to pay a lot of money to be able to put um our our loved ones um expenses to rest and like everything we need to do to bury them and like settling their estate it's incredibly expensive and my friend died after a hella impressive bout with cancer where she kicked cancer's ass one time um and it, it really you know we, we will include the gofundme so if there's anything that you can do to help the family um you know if you appreciate my work that um any any financial appreciation you can send that way i would really 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 love to say that yeah, there's also a Cash App link on the GoFundMe as well, which I'll be including. I'll be including the GoFundMe link. I'll be included everything I did in the detailed show notes at monogamishpod.com, just so you know. This is all like a part of that. This is a part of how we build community and take, take care of people that we love, take care of people that are important to us. Just saying, I just want to put that out there. All the, all the pillars we just talked about, all the foundational things, all the columns, this is an important part of the community element because you can't say you fuck with somebody and you love somebody and you're not showing up for them. Right. So and I will say that it has been absolutely beautiful in the way the reason why I think it's so important to talk about the way that we're building our polyamorous life is because I don't want you all dying with special friends listed in your obituary. Not the special friends. Oh my I'm god. Going I'm going there. That special we that is a relic of the eighties and the nine the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. As we move into this century, as we move into a world, you know, I was talking to um I had a brunch with a follower yesterday and we were talking about how I got married, I got engaged in two thousand and fourteen. And at the time that I got engaged to my husband, who I love dearly, and I am so happy that I married. It's also important to note that it was not legal for me to marry a woman. 
right? Like, like, let's bring some historical context into, into the situation, right? You have to bring this historical context. You have to remember that, that everyone after me, because by the time I actually got married, gay marriage was passed nationally. So that changed between 2014 and 2015. But think about the fact that there are a lot of queer people who are married to people of the opposite sex and they would not be married to people of the opposite sex if there had been another option, right? So the intentionality of their life is still dictated by legality, right? And the laws of our land. So, you know, there's this very idea, there's, there's this kind of like polyamorous idea of looking down on people who are legally married, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of Pete. That's part. Some polycules hold that as part of their relational culture, right? But some other people, some other polycules have brought in historical context into their relational culture, right? And so it's also important for me to note that this is going to this cohort is going to be culturally competent, and what that means, culturally competent education means that we are we are bringing the culture of the African diaspora and we are we are talking about things from the lens of I am a black queer woman and that is where I am going to approach the conversation from. If you are a majority who is in who is participating in this cohort, things are easier for you. Period. Things are easier as a member of the majority, but I'm going to, I'm going to speak to everyone so that we have a broad base and we're going to speak to the more difficult um, things that, that, uh, that are coming up as a result of the cultures that we are born into. Thank you. That's really all I can say is just like, thank you for taking those things into consideration. Not that I, not that you wouldn't, cause I knew you would, but like you talked about, most of these people are selling courses, doing shit. It's crackers. And yes, I said crackers, and I will say it again. And they don't know nothing about Black lives, <laughs> building a Black-ass life, living a Black-ass life. The religion component that most of us have to struggle with, like, to get through life. Like, the, the, the culture of being a Black person, and here's the thing. I'm not American. I'm not African-American, so I can't speak to the African-American experience, right? But, like I said... I would not yeah, being, be being black and polyamorous, mm-hmm. as you know, as you've heard me say several times, is a whole other layer yep. of, of what it means to be out and proud and intentional about our polyamory. And that is not going to be something that we don't address heavily in the cohort. Um, and, and I'm also going to continually call around, call upon people who have privilege to use that privilege in the furtherance of the cause for people who do not. Blessings, blessings. So tell people where they can find more information about the intentional polyamory okay, cohort. So like let them know. Polyamory cohort, you can sign up at bit.ly slash polyam on purpose. I know that Jen is going to make sure you have all the good links in the show notes. So that will be there for you. Um, uh, you can find out more information about what polyam on purpose is. I am dropping some like infographics about who should join the cohort, what we're about. I'm going to be doing some TikToks to really explain what we're going to be doing and how it's going to work. Um, Those things will be out hopefully by the time that we um, air this podcast. So keep that in mind. 
And also, if you just have any, like, specific questions about whether the cohort might be a good idea for you, you can hit me up via DM on any of my socials. I'm at Shanae Speaks on TikTok and Instagram and Shanae Jackson Kendall on Facebook. Um, you can also find me at Shanae Speaks on Twitter. Or you can email me directly at Kendall at gmail.com. Um, I do accept Klarna for this cohort, Klarna or Afterpay. And we also, I'm hoping to have some scholarships in place so that we can make sure that we commit to the diversity of this cohort. Um, so I also will kind of plug that and say, I am accepting all donations. Um, even if it's like 10, you got $5, you got $10, you got $25 toward offsetting the costs of this cohort for someone who might want to participate but not be able to do so financially. Um, I am willing to split the cost of a scholarship with anyone who would like to. So if you say, hey, I'd like to pay for someone else to join the cohort, um, I am willing to donate half of the cost if someone else can match the other half of the cost because it's important to me that this cohort is accessible. So don't hesitate to have those conversations with me. Um, I even have a really cool code to use for Anagamish Pod listeners that will get you $25 off the cost of the cohort. So right there on the page where you sign up, there is a coupon code you can input. And there is a special code for Monogamish Pod listeners. And that code is MonogamishPod25. I know that Jen is going to be hella diligent in providing that information to you in the show notes. Now, <laughs> this is something we haven't touched on. This cohort is extremely limited. And so I will say, I'm not going to be specific, but I will say that there are less than 20 spots in this cohort that um, began on January the 8th, and we are one-fourth of the way booked um, right now, and we are less than 72 hours from the launch of the registration. So I would encourage you to secure your spot now. Um, Klarna is a really excellent way to do that. If you don't have all the funds right now, you can pay in for equal payments. Um, I am this is it's important to me this information is financially accessible. So again, if you have the heart, the time, the desire for this, but are struggling financially to figure it out, contact me and we will do our best to work that out for you. Yes, yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for being here, Shanae. I really appreciate it. And of course, like I said, all the links will be in the detailed show notes available at monogamishpod.com. But when we post this episode, we will make sure we post the code in the the Instagram story so that you guys can take advantage of the sale. Yes, yes, exactly. All right. So thanks again for being here. I will, I'll talk to you when we get off this girl, because you know, we talk all the time. Don't tell everybody else you're going to be jealous. Once again, we'd love to thank Shanae for being on the podcast today. And you can find tidbits and all we talked about and links to everything with the detailed show notes at monogamishpod.com. If you want to support the podcast just by listening to it, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podbay, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we got it. I would love for you to rate and review us where possible. Tell your friends, subscribe, subscribe. If you listen to us on Spotify, please be sure to answer the poll questions once I put them up. I love reading those answers. It definitely helps me formulate some different thoughts. So go on ahead and do that. If you want to know where to find the podcast on social media, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at MonogamishPod. It's the same handle everywhere. I also post some video episodes on YouTube. You can find that at youtube.com, I think 
slash monogamishpod at monogamishpod. They're doing this new YouTube handle thing. I don't really know how it works, but you can find monogamishpod on YouTube. Some video episodes are up on there. Y'all should, y'all should check those out. <laughs> um, if you want to support the podcast financially, you can, of course, buy merch. Monogamishpod.threadless.com. I do have t-shirts, mugs, uh, masks, I think, are on there too still. You know, wow, that's an error, right? Masks, like little personalized masks, and so on and so forth. So be sure to head over to monogamishpod.threadless.com. The holiday merch should be up by the time the episode drops. If not, there'll be a post on social media about it. Fret not. You can also support the podcast by subscribing to the podcast on the Anchor app. If you've noticed, a lot of episodes from season one are actually no longer publicly available because they're behind that paywall on Anchor and the only way to get them is to pay the $4.99 a month. I'm sorry, but I'm also not sorry because it's something I've been thinking about doing for a while. So there's that. You can also support the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash You get bonus episodes, behind the scenes content, access to the close friends list on Instagram and more. I also write blog posts on there. So there are things that I don't talk about publicly that you will find only on the Patreon, like Patreon exclusives. And patrons also get first crack at like special merch. So the holiday stuff is going to go to patrons first. Um, all the stuff for the 100th episode, there's special merch there. It's going to go to Patreon first as well. They'll get first crack at it. That's another perk of being a patron. And in the off season, I'll be spending a lot of time on Patreon, <laughs> um, doing some more bonus content over there. And while I'm talking about the Patreon, I should probably tell you the fact that next week's episode is a season finale of Monogamish Pod. It's the 100th episode. It's the season finale. I have a special guest with me. Can't wait for y'all to hear the episode. So how about we celebrate the 100th episode in a big way? I would like you to send me a video or a voice note saying happy 100th episode. I'm going to put it in a little compilation thing. It's going to look super cute. I'm going to post it on the Instagram, on the TikTok, on Facebook. It's going to be public. It's going to be public. So if you're not comfortable with your face being shown, please be sure just to send a voice note. I'll put a little thing over it. It'll be totally fine. If you have an iPhone, you can actually use that avatar feature and send it with that. That actually, that's a great idea. I'm a freaking genius. Look at me. Because it's not going to be your real face. It's just going to be an animated face. You know what I'm saying? So... Feel free to send your messages, happy 100th episode to Monogamish Pod. And please, please, please try to have those to me by the 5th of December. That way I have time to collate everything and have it out when the episode drops on December 7th. Just saying, if you're open to it, please do it. If not, it's totally fine. Just just, just a suggestion. I also have a newsletter, monogamishpod.substack.com that comes out monthly. We find out everything that's going on with the pod, everything's going on with me, fun polyamorous things on TV, in the news, you name it, I got it in the newsletter. So look out for that. If you want to donate to me personally, because you love my work and all the things that I do and all this money goes well as to the podcast or to food anyway, because sometimes your girl needs podcast snacks. You can donate financially by sending me Cash App or Venmo have you met Jen or on coffee since coffee.com slash have you met Jen ko-fi.com slash have you met Jen and again links to all this will be in the detail show notes um, on monogamishpod.com I think that's everything I have for y'all Whew, I feel like I just talked a lot and said a whole lot of nothing but that's all I have for you today once again I'm Jen this is Monogamish Pod and have a great day y'all bye everyone